Ovarian cancer is a very prevalent gynecological cancer that is on the rise and we're doing much more aggressive surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, and it is really in the forefront of many women's minds because the issues related to diagnostic screening as well as research is really changing rapidly. Joining me today is Dr. Leslie Randall. She is a GYN oncologist in uh, University of California, Irvine. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Critchman, host of Sex Med on ReachMD. Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time, and I really want uh, our listeners to get all your titles. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself uh, so we get it right. Uh, and again, I really appreciate you joining us today. Leslie. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I am an associate professor of OBGYN at University of California, Irvine, like you said, and I am in the women's cancer or gynecologic oncology division here, and I also uh, direct the fellowship program. Great. And, you know, Leslie, I know that we've worked very closely together, especially uh, treating younger women uh, as well as women of all ages in terms of ovarian cancer. What's new in terms of ovarian cancer research? Is there things going on in terms of diagnosis? Many women are really asking about screening. Uh, is there anything new on the forefront or anything that you think our listeners should really know about uh, in terms of uh, rapid changes that are happening? I would say that the big advances and the most movement in the field right now is in the arena of treatment and in prevention. And for treatment, we're really working hard to develop more tolerable uh, therapies that are as effective or hopefully more effective than standard chemotherapy. Um, in the prevention realm, we're really um, honing in on who's truly at risk for ovarian cancer by identifying carriers of the BRCA or the breast cancer gene uh, mutations. And we're able to perform risk-reducing surgeries in these women, which um, have their set of side effects, no question, but can be life-saving um, prevention methods for these patients because we still don't have a cure for ovarian cancer. True, and you really bring up some good points. I mean, I think the big issue is many women are, are very, very scared about cancer, and the screening diagnostic tools uh, are not as um, sensitive or specific as other things that we may have. And I know a lot of women really want screening with ultrasound or blood chemical tests like CA-125s, but we know that those can have... Um, false positive results, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. So we have this effect of, you know, the worried well, people that are concerned because there's no real good screener where we can find it early and do surgeries. So I know that we will talk about that a little bit later on when we talk about prophylactic surgeries and what have you. But, you know, women are really living longer, uh, healthier lives. Chemotherapy is becoming much more tolerable and really, uh, you know, what I see, because I do work with you, Leslie, in a variety of, of different patients, is that women are really lo living longer and really asking about quality of life considerations. And, you know, our interest here on this uh, show is really about sexual function. 
And women are really concerned. They have their ovaries removed. They have major surgeries where they're, you know, called debulking surgeries. Really a lot of aggressive chemotherapy at multiple times. And they're very concerned about those drops in uh, hormones. So what are uh, cancer centers as well as GYN oncologists like yourself doing uh, really about survivorship concerns, and how do you feel about this newfound revival in terms of sexual function and living beyond uh, the initial cancer treatment? Michael, it's a great question. I think that sexual function and quality of life is critically important to what we do. Um, extending life is not um, helpful to a patient unless you are taking into consideration how good the quality of that life is, and it, we've just recently, as you know, become so much more aware as physicians of the sexual side effects that our patients suffer as a result of their cancers, and it's, in the past, it's been this um, subject that you know, physicians were shy to bring up, and they would wait for the patient to address this with their physician, but the patient was not only uh, maybe shy to talk about that to their physician, but also so grateful to be alive that they may have felt that sexual function was not really a high priority in that setting. Um, we've, got, we've gotten so much better thanks to the efforts of people like you to promote survivorship, promote awareness, help women understand that this is important and help physicians understand that it is important to women. Um, I think superficially the loss of hormonal um, production as a result of surgery or chemotherapy uh, can be a concern. Luckily, most of our patients have already gone through menopause, but their issues still need to be addressed. Um, I think the biggest issue um, that women face having gotten a cancer diagnosis, having undergone radical surgery, received uh, life-changing chemotherapy, especially going through the phase where they've lost their hair, is completely distorted loss of center on their body image. And I think body image is so um, directly tied to a woman's sexuality, and especially in our culture where the perfect body is the only body, um, to have a body that's riddled with scars, um, a temporary hair loss, your hair may grow back a different color, it may be curly, it may have a different texture. Um, it's just you're just not the person who you were before cancer, and I think that can really be um, a challenge, and that's probably where we need to focus a lot of our attention. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think, you know, what I've seen over the last two decades, really, in working in the field of survivorship is really that uh, I've seen really a big shift at that the surgical oncologists, which were traditionally very stoic and uninvolved and really very much involved in surgery and trying to cure the cancer, are now really realizing that cancer is a chronic disease and uh, incorporating people like myself in their clinical practice. And, you know, I spent a stint at Sloan Kettering where I ran a sexual health and survivorship center, and I'm really fortunate to work alongside surgeons like yourself, Dr. Bristow, Dr. Tawari, Penner. Um, they're really, uh, you know, we work side by side really recognizing that um, living beyond the cancer surgery and beyond the treatment is a vital aspect 
And what I'm seeing, which is really exciting for me, is that sometimes people are coming to see me for a survivorship consult and sexual health consult even before they're undergoing uh, radical surgery. They want a preemptive uh, issue. Uh, they want treatment in anticipation of uh, changes, really to circumnavigate those issues of distress that they may feel and what have you. So, you know, I think it's really a, a new frontier where you have sexual health and survivorship experts like myself working really alongside in the clinical space with uh, expert surgeons like yourself, as well as clinical researchers, uh, medical students, and what have you. It's no longer this uh, forgotten aspect of clinical care. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Critchman, and joining me today is Dr. Leslie Randall. She is a world-famous uh, GUN oncologist. Um, Leslie, I wanted to talk a little bit about the myths of ovarian cancer and sexual function. And, you know, I know that we talk very often about hormones and uh, drops in estrogen and testosterone. Um, what are your thoughts about some of the myths about ovarian cancer and, and, and hormones specifically? Because I see a lot of ovarian cancer patients who um, have been misinformed about the importance of hormones and or whether or not they can take even local hormones. What are your thoughts? Right. I think this is such an important question because patients are misinformed, uh, both by physicians and by the media. The um, Even though the ovary makes estrogen, the ovarian tumors are not typically estrogen dependent. Now, one exception to that could be uh, two certain types of ovarian cancer called clear cell cancer or endometrioid-type cancer, and those are actually more rare than the more common types of endometrial cancer, So, or I'm sorry, ovarian cancer. In um, the setting of a typical ovarian cancer, in my opinion, there's really no reason to deny the patient the quality of life benefit of hormonal therapy, and we typically approach it as you would approach hormone therapy in any patient um, who is seeking that treatment, and that would be to use the lowest dose that is uh, effective and to use it for the period of time for which it's needed. Uh, we also use a lot of localized estrogen, um, vaginal estrogen, because most of our patients have already gone through the hot flushes, night sweats, vasomotor uh, type symptoms, uh, but really have persistent uh, vaginal dryness and uh, vaginal atrophy that is really um, very well treated with localized estrogen. And many of my patients continue that for the duration of their life. The improvement in their quality of life is dramatic, and they're always so grateful um, to receive that type of treatment. Now, working alongside you with having you in the clinic is invaluable because some patients need more uh, than that. And... Um, you know, more complicated cases like where a patient also has an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer or is at risk for that cancer. Um, you know, maybe hormones aren't the best idea for her. And I, I think that um, having someone who has expertise in uh, hormone therapy and its risks 
uh, like yourself in our clinic is invaluable. Um, also managing patients who are refractory to our simple treatments. Uh, sometimes it's just not enough and they need more. They need a different approach. Um, you know, survivorship medicine really uh, helps these women overcome uh, those barriers. Great. And I think one of the other mysteries and myths is that women think that they are ruled by their hormones and, you know, that once they have a drop in estrogen and testosterone, their sex life will never recover. And very often it's breaking down those barriers, really understanding that there's a multitude of uh, hormones, whether it's oxytocin, uh, neurohormones, you know, things like uh, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, melanocortins, all these things really play a, a perfect role. So sometimes we have compensation. So, you know, it's really dispelling the myths and really educating patients to make good choices and individualizing care uh, in conjunction with their oncologist. You know, I think that's really important and collaborative approach is really vital in this aspect. Uh, Leslie, I think we have time for one more quick question. And, you know, I would be remiss with talking about ovarian cancer without talking about BRCA. Uh, I think, you know, Angelina Jolie uh, brought this to the forefront. Many patients are coming in talking about prevention, prophylactic surgery. And again, you had alluded to the fact that there's nothing without ramification. So, you know, I think we both agree that patient selection, inform information, uh, really appropriate testing and not over-testing is really key. But what are your high-level thoughts about this concept about BRCA testing, screening, and surgery? And how would you advise both clinicians and patients who may be listening? I think BRCA information is probably the most significant advance that's happened in ovarian cancer in the last 10 years. Um, it's vitally important uh, to be aware if you are a carrier of this mutation and families may be identified by having an uh, extensive history of premenopausal breast cancer, male breast cancer, um, women who've had multiple uh, recurrences or multiple primary breast cancers or ovarian cancer all in the same family. Um, if we can identify these women, we can prevent ovarian cancer. We cannot prevent ovarian cancer any other way. Uh, the way we uh, approach prevention is to recommend uh, removal of the tubes and ovaries. And currently, the recommended age is 35, uh, which is very young. It's um, 15 years on average premenopausal um, and an age where uh, removal of the ovaries is uh, much more likely to cause long-term effects like osteoporosis and early cardiovascular disease. And that's, it's very important to recognize if you're going to do a preventative surgery that will extend the life of the patient. Um, one, one thing we've learned by doing these procedures, however, is that a lot of the quote-unquote ovarian cancers that occur in BRCA patients are actually at, in the fallopian tube. And so we are looking, we're doing clinical trials. This is not ready for prime time but doing clinical trials to test whether just removing the tube may be as effective as doing the tubes and ovaries, and then going back and removing the ovaries perimenopausal, postmenopausally. Great. And, you know, Leslie, that's such important information and really to stay on the forefront because things are changing rapidly. 
Uh, thank you for being with us today. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We've been talking with Dr. Leslie Randall from the University of California, Irvine, in the Department of Gynecology Oncology. Um, and you can find out more information about her as well as the uh, research that's going on by uh, looking up uh, University of California, Irvine, and uh, checking out for Dr. Leslie Randall. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman. You've been listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website, reachmd.com slash sexualmedicine, to download this segment and others in the series. And remember, sexual health is general health. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman, your host, and you've been listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>